0: States. They all bought Cadillacs And left there long ago We held a concert out in Brooklyn To watch the island bridges flow They turned This week on Broadway for Sunday, July 14th, 2019. We're hoping that everybody's got their electricity back. (laughs) Today on the broadcast, we have Jenna Tessa Fox and Peter Felicia. Jenna is a theater writer and a reviewer whose articles have appeared at Time Out New York, Playbill, Broadway World, and New York Theater Guide. She also has her own podcast, Spotlight, on the Broadway Radio Network. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning, Good morning, also with us is Peter Felicia. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His play God Shows Up is now in performance at the Actors Temple Theater on 47th Street. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Hi. So the two of you, how did you brave? <laughs> how did you brave the uh, the great blackout of 2019? Jenna, I saw lots of photographs of you making your way back uptown.
1: Uh, I mostly missed the whole thing. Uh, I, I was not at a, well. I was in a theater. I was in a movie theater last night mm. uh, or yesterday afternoon, and was having dinner after the show, and suddenly my phone begins blowing up with texts. Are you okay? Where are you? How are you getting back to Inwood? (laughs) And I thought, gee, it's so nice that people are so worried about me. (laughs) (laughs) That's great and walked outside and it was right by Madison Square Garden and I see all these people just pouring out of the garden and they're looking around rather confused and this is how I learned about the blackout uh for me I was really lucky I just walked across to Third Avenue and caught an express bus back up to my neighborhood so very minor inconvenience for me uh I, I then just sat watching videos of people in the theater district, all the shows that were putting on uh, impromptu performances outside on the sidewalk for the uh, for the actors like Come From Away, Hades Hadestown. Uh, those were beautiful. I just, I, it reminded me of uh, during the strike of 07 when so many theaters had to go dark because of the uh, I think it was the stagehand strike, I believe. Uh-huh. And a lot of the actors would gather at their theaters because audiences were showing up not knowing that the theaters were going dark. And they couldn't officially perform since there was a strike on, but they would sing a couple songs from their shows just so that all these people who had traveled all over the place uh, didn't miss out on everything. They still got something to walk away with. So it was just kind of lovely to see the theater community pulling together and still supporting their audiences. Uh, I, I was just picturing, you know, someone saving up for years to finally come to New York and finally see that show. I know, I know. Yeah, and I mean, considering how expensive it is, how, how far in advance you have to plan, can you imagine sitting in your seat just as the lights go out?
0: I have a, I have a client that came into town and I got them house seats for Hamilton uh, last night. No, (laughs) And and this has been in the works for three to four months, you know, that they were, they had planned to come to town and this. Oh, and so, uh, I I mean, I, I haven't heard from the client yet, but, uh. I'm like, oh, I know that they're devastated, but I saw that all the, uh, the casts out there, well, not all the casts, but some, a lot of the casts, and I felt like this, uh, this Black Cat was targeted at Broadway because it was like from 42nd yeah. to 72nd from Fifth Avenue to the Highway. And I was like, oh, somebody, somebody at Con Ed is not happy with Broadway.
1: It's the Russians. It's their Russians going after the liberals again. How can we get the liberals? They said, "We'll go after Broadway. That must be it."
0: You're going to have to get more than just that little section of Manhattan, (laughs) (laughs) Peter. And you know how? How did you weather the uh, heat?
2: Well, it wasn't hard for me either because uh, yesterday afternoon I drove up to Albany because uh, Christopher Sutton, who uh, plays the evangelist in my play, God shows up always had told us, um, look, if this play runs, I I can't uh, be in it in July and early August because I'm doing the full bonte up at uh, Albany. I'm playing the lead role. And in fact, my wife, Lynn Philistine, is going to be in it as well. So um, so I decided to go up and surprise them and uh, see the show, which was terrific, a wonderful production. And not only that, I really realized that This is a great show for community theater because there are parts for everybody. You may recall this even a part for a mother in a wheelchair, a very small part. But it'd be really nice to get someone in your community who does use a wheelchair uh, to do this part, a cameo appearance. Anyway, so I was driving back and um, and I heard the news and on the radio so um here 's the funny thing, and it 's another reason why Linda and I have uh been so successful in a forty one year relationship because we live apart, mm-hmm. and uh, you know when, when you live apart there 's nothing to fight about so as a result um she was able to pay me back for Superstorm standy when you may recall that um half the city was um from uh, i think it was thirty fourth street all the way down to um uh, the Statue of Liberty was out. Um, she had to stay at my apartment, and um, last night, I was preparing to stay at hers. so uh, I went to her place and uh, then we heard on the radio um, sorry on the TV that it uh, was going to be back by midnight. In fact, they even showed my street on on Channel Seven, so I knew I was okay. So I did come back, so I missed it too. Ironically, I missed the one a few years ago. I was in Minneapolis seeing South Pacific. But I was around 42 years ago to the day when I was seeing the Cherry Orchard at Lincoln Center. And um, what had happened there, that was the show that had won the Tony for Best Lighting. And uh, there I was, and I saw the sloppiest effect for lighting I had ever seen. I thought, how did Jennifer Tipton win when she had this sloppy effect? Well, of course, you can't blame her. You can blame the people on the lights. But still, I thought, is this what she wanted? I mean, what a place for lights to go out. This is so strange. You know, and then you heard the actors go, <laughs> Uh, um uh list uh w- w- so anyway so um Jenna I'm very glad um you weren't inconvenienced I wasn't either and James you're on Long Island I assume
0: yes I was actually in the city but uh wasn't affected by it and then uh didn't realize and got out of the city uh uh w- without being affected and caught the rest of it on the news so um yeah it's interesting you know, we talk about this, and I'm thinking about. I was going to ask you. You know, when's the last time you know Broadway has been closed because of this? But Peter brought up you know the superstorm, and uh, we had the snowstorm a couple of uh, two or three years ago during Broadway Con that more Bad. or less shut Broadway, and the blackout oh, right. uh, a couple of years ago in New York. So I guess Broadway has closed a couple of times over the. Sure. You know, the, <laughs> I I. I uh, Back in the 90s, I, I worked with Mel Torme, and Mel Torme used to say, uh, people say the show must go on. N- no, it, it, it doesn't have to. <laughs> that's, Mel used to say that, and we, we were all so surprised. We're like, oh, I guess, you know, he's right. It doesn't have to go on.
2: Well, Nobel Cowan had a song about that, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah, why must the show go on?
0: Oh, that's, cr- that's right. Well, we'll have to, well, uh, Pink Floyd... Uh, david gilmore and david water uh david uh the show must go on is from pink floyd the wall so uh I, I you know i think that it's time that we finally bring uh, pink floyd's the wall to broadway i mean adam pascal Ooh. has been working on that for my goodness 20 some odd years i remember sitting down with adam right in the late 90s or early 2000s to talk about bringing pink floyd the wall to broadway
1: oh no kidding that yeah. would be
0: amazing Yeah, he really wanted to play Pink. Uh, I think he could still do it. Adam is sort of timeless.
1: He is. I mean, he's still playing Roger, and he'll be doing that in a wheelchair.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he could have done it with a broken ankle, I'm telling you, man. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. Don't. Please stop the emails. All right. So first up in uh, the—not first up in the news, but first review of the morning, uh, Peter and Jenna got over to city center to see now we're going to have to ask you this question because i didn't go promenade promenade so peter promenade. what is it promenade what is it? he is saw it... promenade i saw promenade so <laughs> ah, okay so
2: peter what'd you think of it a lot of people would say let's call the whole thing off uh, because it's a very odd show a very odd show indeed um it's very hard to make sense of it um <clears throat> Uh, This would be a musical that Eugene Ionesco might have written because it it does deal a lot with the uh, theater of the absurd. And um, it was written by a woman who has since become uh, a a recipient on the Playwrights Hall of Fame right in front of the Lucille Lortel Theater. She only had one show on Broadway ever, and it didn't even open and closed in previews. But off-Broadway, Maria Irene Fornes, uh really had quite the career. And this was one time when she collaborated with the Reverend Al Carmine's. Yes, he was a reverend, and he used to operate out of the Judson Church um, off of Washington Square. And he wrote a great many musicals in the 60s and uh, 70s. Uh, most of which people don't know um this is one of his few cast albums <clears throat> and it's on a major label i mean it was on rca victor it's now available on masterworks broadway and um there are very few other Calmarians records um there's one of joan which i think is a terrific musical that's my favorite of his in circles has an album too and um a show um about gay men, using a term that um, is not used today. Actually, he used it, um, the six-letter word beginning with F. Um, he wrote a musical about that, too. So anyway, um, this was the wildest and craziest of them all. It's, it's um, very hard to understand what's going on here, but it does deal with two convicts, and they're solely named 105 and 106, and they're trying to dig their way out of prison, and they do. They do, and they wind up at this posh party. Um, now, the stage direction, because I read the show, the stage direction actually said they put on tuxedos, uh, so they'll fit in. I don't know where they get the tuxedos to fit fit in, but that's what Maria Irina uh wrote. She also said that she wrote this on index cards and basically just pushed all the cards together, so if there's some reason why it doesn't make sense, that may be the reason why. So, Anyway, they wind up at this party, and um, a, a woman jumps out of a cake. In fact, that's the logo of the show. And uh, I think um, the logo indicates that she's naked, um, but um, I didn't see the show back in 1969. This is the 50th anniversary of it, at least, oh, probably, it was written in 65, but... Um, I'm not sure if there was um, any uh, nudity, uh, but there is a song in which all the high-toned ladies at the party, this is a real upper crust party, uh, sing about um, that they would like to be naked too, uh, indicating that certainly people, um, even of high quality, um, certainly have their baser instincts. And um, so... Ha! <laughs> um, the convicts have quite a, a ride here. Um, they decide to steal uh, many of the things from the uh, the people. Um, so you hear people cry out, "Where is my pearl stick pin?" What's really interesting is one says, "Where is my monogram?" It almost indicates that these people are so clueless they don't even know who they are without <laughs> being identified by their monograms. So, um, so. It, it, it's the adventures of these people. They run to people. They run to a woman who's lost her children. Um, there's an implication at the end of the show that these two convicts are her children, which could very well be. But in the meantime, um, there were such lines as um, God gave us understanding just to confuse us. Uh, so I think Ian would have liked that line quite a bit. Um, if you know the album and like the album, it's, You should have been there at um, the city center for a couple of reasons. One, there's more music in the show than on the album. In fact, uh, the album even uh, liner notes on the CD even concedes that there was so much music in the show. They had to speed up the LP a little to get everything on that they did get on. Most of the songs, by the way, are like a minute and a half. They they come and go very quickly. And um, so... The CD now has them at the correct speed. It's too bad we don't have Madeline Kahn on the cast album because she was in the show but um, couldn't do the recording. Uh, and um, George S. Irving, too, uh, a Broadway favorite, couldn't do the recording either. Both of them were otherwise engaged. Some people say they left the show. Some people said they were out for different reasons. I, I don't know the real story. But anyway, um, here um, we should. it would be really great if there were an album because, indeed, uh, so many fabulous fabulous, fabulous people were in it. I'm telling you, whoa, were these, um, <laughs> um, certainly, um, the one who really, um, made a big impression was Bonnie Milligan, um, who people loved in head over heels and she was miss cake. So I don't have to tell you that indeed, um, she, um, she was the person who jumped out of the cake. Uh, Sandra Santiago's mother, um, who has a lot of, um, vocal opportunities, especially at the end of the show. She has the 11 o'clock numbers. Um, Phenomenal, phenomenal um, in delivering these very poignant songs about um, what it is to lose her child and where where she is in life and such as that. So it's really um, pretty impressive to see uh, her. Um, Brianna Parnum, who uh, we discovered, at least I did, in Prince of Broadway, Plays Servant, that's the name, Servant That's all we know about her And whoa, does she had wonderful opportunities too to sing So, um, very powerful production I was there the first night, the audience was crazy for it Just crazy I'm not saying anybody knew what was going on um, It's very hard to understand But that said, uh, and by the way, these are not conventional songs Don't look for any AABA or anything like that um, I remember one of my friends once saying, you get the impression that Al Carmines just puts notes on a page and passes it in. Um, that's one way of looking at it, certainly. But he did have him a lot of gift. Best in Joan, please. Uh, next year, center, uh, off-center encores, please do Joan, um, because that's really the best of the bunch. But anyway, um, I, I, you just, it's one of those shows you just let it wash over you. And you just are overwhelmed by the talent that's on stage. And you say, wow wow, it's so impressive that these people can sing these rangy, atypical songs. And, of course, they don't get much rehearsal. And um, I think doing two performances was exactly right. City Center is a big place, but always leave them wanting more. So um, quite an event. The strangest show we'll probably see this year, maybe even the decade, maybe even the Century. But I was glad I was there.
0: All right. Uh, Jenna, what would you think?
1: Uh, I, I largely agree. I Also quite enjoyed the show, although absurdism is uh, really not my usual thing. The show looked gorgeous. It's a fascinating slice of the 60s and the artistic creativity that was going on at that time. And... uh, I wasn't as moved as I feel like I should have been, although with Absurdism, I'm never quite sure what the, uh, what the artist's original intention was, which I guess is kind of the point of Absurdism. Uh, still, having read about how Maria Irene Fornis and Al Carmines created the show, I was very excited to see it and to see this contemporary take on a 54-year-old piece. Uh, the themes are really timeless, and the characters seem to be archetypes in a lot of ways. It's more a show about ideas than character development. The rich are stupid. Um, The uh, People are always looking for something that they don't have. I I kind of wish I'd known what those themes on the cards were that Maria Irene Fornes was pushing around as she (laughs) created the piece. Uh, I, I... Again, I had never heard of the show before City Center announced they'd be doing it. So I feel like there's a lot of research I still need to do. But there's still a real humanity to the characters, especially the mother, perpetually looking for what she's lost. As we have the wealthy people crying, where's my monogram? Where's my stick pin? She's looking for her children. And your heart can't help but go out to her. And uh, it is... (laughs) Considering, like you said, how short that rehearsal process was, it's really impressive that the cast was able to just come together so tightly and work together so well. And I've got to give major credits to Laurie Woolery's direction, Greg Jarrett's musical direction. They keep everything moving just at the absurdest uh, fast pace, but also slow enough so that the more emotional moments can hit us, and we can process them. And I can't imagine how difficult it is to balance that. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to the Sopranos in the crowd. It is uh, wonderful to have some Sopranos to balance out the belting. Uh, and I'm not disparaging belting Bonnie Milligan or Marcy Harrell, who it's always wonderful to see. Oh, yeah, see.
2: she was, yes. Oh, aren't She's they fantastic? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they yeah. are Always a joy to see them, but it's nice to have a counterbalance to the belting. So, soara Joyce Ross, Carmen Ruby flood their arias. I mean, could you even call them songs? Those are more arias that they got That's to fair. sing. Yeah. yeah. Just beautiful. I remember Ms. Flood uh, stopped after midnight a couple of years ago with the uh, creole love call. Uh, so just wonderful to see her, uh, see her again. Sandra Santiago sang very powerfully as the mother looking for her children. Um, uh, so this was, you know, not the kind of thing I would normally go to see on my own, since absurdism is not my thing. But I might need to branch out into a bit more uh-huh. absurdism. Uh, on the, you know, I, I have seen some Ionesco that I quite enjoyed, Pinter certainly. So maybe I enjoy absurdism more than I thought I did. <laughs> and I'm very glad they took a risk with this show. I and. I'll offer a counterpoint. I do wish they had run a little bit longer just so more people would have had a chance to see it. Uh, you're right. The audience was incredibly enthusiastic. Lots of cheers, and that's wonderful. Um, and I hope this inspires City Center to take more risks with more, uh, what sort of, I don't want to say forgotten, but I mean their original mission for uh, Encores was to present shows that don't often get done. And since they've been doing, you know, Follies and many more shows that are performed fairly regularly i love this uh, off center move to uh, to to bring in shows that i you know i consider myself fairly well versed i didn't know about this one i was thrilled to see it and i hope they'll do more shows that i don't know about so uh, obviously they need to contact me and say what shows do you know about okay yes we can do this cuz you don't know about it and you'll discover something new
2: Well, to be fair, um, some years ago I was on the National Endowment on the Arts uh, panel where uh, we were given financial figures on encores, uh, whether or not uh, we should give them any money. And uh, it was very interesting to see the pajama game at 98 percent and Juno at 68 percent and Bye Bye Birdie at 98 percent and music in the air at 72%. I've never forgotten those figures. So, you know, they got to stay in business too. I'm, uh, we all wish that they would do, uh, how many people say encore should do uh, fill in the blank with obscure title. In fact, we're lucky we're getting love life next year. I mean, that's been talked about for a long, long time and it's finally happening. But yes, um, I remember when I bought the album Promenade, um, it was in the children's record section um, with the children's record price, because the logo, aside from the lady jumping out of the cake, sort of looks um, like a children's record. So so I was very glad to get it at a very reduced price at the time. But um, it's certainly not for children. And when you talk about the, the rich people not being bright, Jenna, also... Very topical at the time was the fact that the police in this show are not bright either. Um, and uh, that w- police were very much under fire in the sixties, uh, the late sixties, especially, uh, especially after the democratic convention in Chicago. Uh, so, uh, so there's, there's a lot of anti-police feeling in the show too. So, um, it, it's, 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 it's definitely a product of its time. Sure. And, uh, yeah. So, and- uh, in fact, oh, another reason why it's a product of its time, This is a song about cigarette smoking that praises cigarettes. Uh, so, uh, and we, we certainly wouldn't have that written in a contemporary, uh, musical set today and now.
1: And it was also interesting to see how the – at the time, it wasn't even a war, but the conflict in Vietnam uh, influenced the show. There's an extended sequence talking about war and battlefields and people being sent off to war that they don't want to fight in. It's not a matter of patriotism. It's just you got called up, you're going. And that was uh, fascinating. I genuinely thought this was meant to be a critique of the Vietnam War until I double checked and no 65 this was uh, this was not at the height of the war. this came it along.
2: It wasn't at the height and for that matter, uh, we can't be sure that between 65 and 69 this stuff was added. you know we have no idea That's true. Um, By the way, Steve Routman was very, very moving as the older soldier. Oh, yes. um, Very moving. And uh, yes, there's a lot of criticism about the draft in the show and um, how you get drafted. So, um... it, 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 uh, I, uh, I imagine that we're really selling it rather well. People must be saying, what is this? Oh, I'm sorry I missed it. I mean, they should it, be <laughs> sorry they missed
1: it. I mean, it was uh,
2: not-, not. everybody could be in New York at the right time in the right place I or know. even last night the wrong time um, and, and the right place. But anyway. But so. no,
1: and also James T. Lane and Ken Overshone as the two prisoners. Uh, Their reactions, I mean, a lot of what they're acting is reacting to what they see. They're on stage for pretty much the entire show. Mm -hmm. And a lot of their journey involves just seeing the absurdity in the world and reacting to it. And it's kind of fascinating because frequently with absurdism, you'll have someone who is outside of the Craziness of whatever's going on, so they can be the audience stand-in. Mm-hmm. And in this show, they both seem to—they're connected to it, but not fully in it. They're more observers of the absurdity of 1960s life, and just watching their reactions and seeing how subtly they—they they played those moments was really impressive. They did really beautiful work.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is. Uh not going to be able to be seen if you've not seen it you can't see it <laughs> uh and we'll have a link to the encore's page there uh you, neither one of you talked about the uh the the running time it it ran for just about 2 hours with no intermission
2: 150 it originally had an intermission um and uh but they decided to do it without so it was uh an hour 50
0: okay so moving forward uh Jenna you got over to Playwrights Horizons to see A Strange Loop, the hot, sold-out, off-Broadway show, can't get a ticket, extended already, must leave. Will we see it again? What did you think? Should we be seeing this again?
1: Yes, we should absolutely be seeing this again. And uh, we we have to because a friend of mine had a ticket for the show last night and uh-huh. just got to the theater as uh, everything happened. and. I don't know what time did the blackout start maybe it was uh,
0: it just after it started about 6:30 right was
1: it 6:30 okay yeah. i he was not able to see the show uh, which is heartbreaking because i had told him over and over he needed to see this it's and we got tickets for last night it's the russians that's russians, right yeah. they want to keep people from seeing this uh, amazing Powerful shows. So, as much as I usually don't like absurdism, there are some uh, certain absurdist elements to *A Strange Loop*. I finally caught up with the show uh, very late in the in the run. Uh, this is Michael R. Jackson's semi-autobiographical stream of consciousness musical that's been running at Playwrights Horizons for the better part of a month, I think. Uh, it's, and yeah, it is just as amazing as you've heard. Uh, The show follows Usher, who works as an usher at The Lion King on Broadway, and he ushers us through his life. Mm. Uh, He is a struggling playwright-slash-composer. He wants to create theater, and he wants to find real connections with people, but as a black gay man from Detroit, I believe— he doesn't quite seem to fit in to any one community. He feels too dark-skinned and self-conscious about his body to be accepted by the gay community, and his very religious black family doesn't approve of him being gay and effeminate. So he is caught in this perpetual limbo of having to constantly compromise. At the same time, he's trying to create an original musical called A Strange Loop, That tells the truth about what it's like to be a black gay man in America today and on and on the loop goes, although that's not actually what the title means, just for the record. Um, Jackson has clearly poured his heart and soul into this piece and it really shows. Uh, Usher is just so full of self-loathing that his self-loathing actually becomes a character who regularly wanders onto the stage just to say hi. Uh, Usher is not a proud Arnold Beckhoff from Tort Song Trilogy or Alban from La Cage aux uh, His problems are the result of centuries of bigotry and oppression, racism and prejudice and homophobia and all these societal ills that have infected this country for hundreds of years. And the show might be easier to swallow if Usher were proud of himself, but then it wouldn't speak to all the millions of people who do deal with all of these problems on a daily basis. And... That is arguably the greatest strength of A Strange Loop. Well, Jackson doesn't try to make the show universal. I mean, this is explicitly about the struggles of a black gay man from a religious background. His skill as a writer makes it very easy for a lot of people to identify with Usher's problems and to find some elements to connect with. Uh, another thing I really liked was that Jackson's score for the musical does not try to be catchy. I really doubt we'll hear these songs around the piano at Marie's crisis anytime soon, but it's okay because all of the songs just emerge very naturally and organically from the characters and their situations. Uh, I've got to give a shout out to Rona Sidiqui's excellent musical direction for helping the songs and the music flow together beautifully. Uh, Larry Owens gives an amazing performance as Usher. Uh, He slowly peels away his character's many masks from the scene, uh, scene by scene, until he's just exposed and raw. And then he puts on new masks again for the next moment. It's a performance of really intense truth. And I hope it's remembered come award season next year. The ensemble does some amazing work. L. Morgan Lee, who's apparently the only woman on stage in an otherwise entirely male show, Uh, James Jackson Jr., John Michael Lyles, John Andrew Morrison, John Vesey, and Antoine Harper all move uh, effortlessly from character to character, playing women and men and people of all different backgrounds beautifully, aided by Montana Levy Blanco's... Oh, sorry. Blanco? Blanco. Yes. Blanco's costumes. Oh, my gosh. I almost said Bianco. (laughs) (laughs) uh one moment of the show has really been troubling me since i saw the piece uh i don't want to spoil the moment uh but towards the end the audience is invited to clap along with one song and this is not unusual we've all been in audiences where we're expected to clap along and the people on stage clearly indicate hey clap now so I did as instructed and clapped along Mm -hmm. for a couple seconds until suddenly I realized what I was clapping along to. Uh, And kind of hard to not spoil this, but uh, it was just not something you ever want to clap along to. And it became this chilling, terrifying reminder of how easy it is to just go along with the flow, get caught up in this moment and not even think about what you're agreeing with, what you're condoning, what you're cheering on, when the, all the people around you and the, you know, even the people you're supposed to be watching and following tell you do this, you you do it. And suddenly you're cheering on something you should never cheer on. It, it sent a chill up my spine that hasn't been – it hasn't eased up since. Uh, and I, I don't know if that was something – Michael R. Jackson wanted to have happen. He wanted that kind of chill to go up our spines for that moment, or if that was just Stephen Brackett's excellent direction that made that moment so powerful, but it's really resonated with me that I didn't even think I started clapping. And for several seconds I was clapping along to something I would never, ever want to clap along to. So bear that in mind when they say clap, don't, please don't, uh-huh. don't make my mistakes. Uh,
0: this is Peter one of never the claps. Most- No, no. Peter never never claps, no. Is that true? You told us when they ask you to clap and they ask you for a call and response from the stage, you never do it.
2: Oh, is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Um, I I certainly applaud. uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, No, Um, I I guess I have mentioned that Dennis Barkell and Douglas Bernstein uh, wrote a phenomenal song about this subject, um, which they sing, don't you hate it when they make you clap your hands. So uh, don't you hate it when they make you sing along. And that's really great because after they sing, don't you hate it when they make you sing along, then they go, everybody. (laughs) <laughs> so, terrific song, really. It should be heard more often. <laughs> so, Jenna, so, back yeah. to you. Yeah.
1: This is this one of the most visceral musicals I've seen in quite a few years. It is ugly, and it is beautiful, and it's heartbreaking and inspiring, and it's thought-provoking, and it's powerful. And I will acknowledge uh, some of the r- uh, reviews that I've read says it starts to get a bit repetitive. But, you know, what the show says bears repeating. So I really hope this show hits as many regional and community theaters as Tyler Perry's plays do in the coming years. Um, I've heard some talk about it transferring to to Broadway. I don't know if it would be a good fit for a Broadway house. The intimacy of Playwrights Horizons is a great venue for this. Uh, But maybe an extended off-Broadway run would be wonderful, somewhere where the audience can be very close to the actor's. And feel that intensity just hit them. I really hope more people get to experience that.
0: Okay. So that is uh, A Strange Loop at Playwrights Horizons in Midtown. Uh, it's playing through July 28th, but as I mentioned, it's really sold out. The, uh, they, they have a whole explainer on their website that it is sold out and that possibly if you're willing to do a few things um, and wait and uh, you might be able to grab a grab a ticket that's not used right before curtain, but um, let's hope it transfers because it's it's gotten such great buzz. And also on the Secret Life of Beeves website, uh, excuse me, on the uh, A Strange Loop website, uh, they've got a, a bunch of songs that inspired uh, the show. So uh, that's it's interesting to check that out as well. Peter, you got to Falmouth. Massachusetts. Uh, Is that sort of near your originating hometown up in the Boston area?
2: No, not nearly. Uh, This is on Cape Cod. I was asked to go to uh, the College Light Opera Company to um, give a speech on George Gershwin because they're doing crazy for you. And uh, it was great fun doing it. And the crowd was very responsive. They really laughed in all the right places. God love them. And um, um, so it was also fun, you know, pulling out all these books about George Gershwin and learning so many wonderful things about him. Uh, and uh, uh, my favorite, I think, was the fact that when if he invited you over to dinner, after you had dinner, what would then happen is he would go to the piano and sing songs for like three hours. And uh, there was no getting around it. And a lot of times it was the new songs that he was playing to the point at which George S. Kaufman said, you have so many people at these parties that what's going to happen Is when the finally those shows, the songs wind up in shows and people go to see the shows. They're going to say, Oh, it's so derivative. I've heard that song, a song just like that before. And, um, but my favorite thing is that um, Gershwin said to Oscar Levant at one point, I wonder if my songs are going to be sung a hundred years from now. And Levant said, If you're still around, they're going to be sung because you'll be singing them at the piano. We can be sure of that. So, um, but even without that, of course, George Gershwin's songs have been sung for a hundred years now, literally. And um, here they are in Crazy For You And this is the College Light Opera Company. I had never been there before, even though it's been around for a long, 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 long time. Uh, I think more than a a half century. And it's a great opportunity because what it is is literally what the title says. They get kids uh, from college. Um, Maybe some are recent graduates. I don't know. But they're uh, college kids, and it's a let's put on a show mentality. But I want to point out two people who I thought were really extraordinary and crazy for you. One was a lead. One was not. But, you know, you can tell when somebody has a musical theater gene there's something about you know the movement all that kind of business i mean i, I hadn't seen Judy, julie andrews um really do a musical yeah i saw putting putting it together but that's not a that was a review and you know it was a lot of people sitting down at a party when i saw her in victor victoria i fully understood why everybody was crazy for julie andrews all these years because i'm telling you the musical theater gene every gesture is in place well similarly speaking Eleni Hansen, who played Polly, the lead um, actress, has that ability, has that in her, which is really something. But also Michael Cagnetta, who played Everett Baker, her father, you could tell he has it, too. Uh, this is not to say that everybody else wasn't talented or anything like that. And the production was really great fun. And the choreography, really, really magnificent um, Was it um, Morgan Campbell and Manly Gabbard shared those uh, duties? And one can understand why, because, of course, Crazy Few has so much dancing. And it wasn't quite just, uh, oh, let's imitate what Susan Stroman did. Oh, there were moments where uh, certainly the choreographer was inspired by Susan Stroman, but they went off on their own and um, and did a phenomenal job. So, I mean, this is a company well worth exploring. And it was so nice to see the audience so responsive. Um, A lot of people were saying, I've been coming here for, you know, and that type of thing. And um, I heard a lot of that in the lobby. I wouldn't miss one of these shows. This is one of the reasons I come down to the Cape. You know, it's really great to hear that type of thing. There's such a loyal following and I can fully understand why. So um, if you uh, (laughs) want to take a drive to the Cape and it does take a few hours from the city, God knows. um, But um, I do think there's something to be said for uh, the drive, which is a nice one through Rhode Island, and all that is very pretty. Um, think about getting down to uh, the College Light Opera Company in Falmouth, Massachusetts.
0: All right. So, uh, Peter, when you were uh, in your theater endeavors, did you get out to Falmouth uh, a, a lot to see various shows on the Cape? You know, the Falmouth never, Playhouse.
2: Never. Never, I was Dennis. Yes, um, Hyannis. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but just never Falmouth. Uh, I, I I do keep a, a, a very strict record of what I see and where I see it, and Falmouth never showed up. I mean, I'm I'm amazed uh, that um, I, I just never was in the right place at the right time. Um, it surprised me. I had assumed when I was invited to give the speech, oh, I'm going back to Falmouth. I thought I had mm-hmm. seen shows there, but no, no, I hadn't. So. So better late than never.
0: Okay, and uh, to, the follow-up to that was, which obviously seems to be no, is that I wondered if you had ever run into a young Kennedys on
2: stage. Uh No. You know, I'm really sorry that John F. Kennedy Jr. didn't get to uh, do his ambitious um, goal of being an actor. Um, His mother said, no, you're not doing that. And uh, he abided by that. But that's what he really wanted to do. And I used to see him in shows. Um, Hard to believe he's been gone 20 years. That amazed me when that came out um, of couple of weeks ago but um nope nope never saw uh kennedy um in on stage or or, uh, or in the audience on the cape but um <laughs> <laughs> but i did see him at uh, the old union square theater when brownstone the musical was there so um a, a very nice show that uh, really deserves a lot more attention brownstone consider doing it friends
0: all right. Crazy Few you at the College Light Opera Company, affectionately called Clock right. at the Highfield Theater in Falmouth, Massachusetts. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. It did play through from July 2nd through the 6th, so it is closed. But you can they check out plenty their of future yeah.
2: offerings there as well. Plenty of other shows coming.
0: All right. So, uh, Jenna, the uh, the bees, they let you in on the secret, didn't they?
1: The Bees, yes.
0: Yes. Jana got down to The Secret Life of Bees at the Atlantic Theatre Company, uh, which is playing for just uh, another week or so. Uh, Yeah. So tell us about this uh, buzzed about production that is talked about for a transfer.
1: Buzzed about? I see what you did there. Mm
0: -hmm. I used it twice, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yes, this is running for another week or so at uh, the Atlantic Theatre Company, and Uh, So the show is based on a book by Sue Monk Kidd, um, and that's its biggest problem right there. The book, the original novel that came out, I think, in, uh, what was it, 2003, sometime around then? uh, It's about a teenage white girl, uh, Lily, in the 1960s in South Carolina. She runs away from her abusive father with her family's black maid, Rosaline. Uh, Rosaline is wanted by the police for defending herself when she was attacked by a group of white men. So the two girls head to a honey farm that seems to have a connection to Lily's late mother. And they are taken in by the three black sisters who run the place. But this is 1964 South Carolina, and Lily is not supposed to be stupid. She has lived in this environment for 14 years So she knows the powers that be are not going to just shrug at a white girl suddenly living with a group of black women. Uh, And furthermore, she knows that her father is looking for her. She knows the police are looking for Rosaline. So every moment that she stays with these sisters, she's putting them in danger. Uh, August is the eldest of the sisters. She insists on taking care of Lily and protecting her. And it suddenly becomes this classic trope of the self-sacrificing black women who risk everything to help a white person. Uh, That's the source material right there. It is decidedly problematic, especially as we become increasingly aware of the harmful cliches, uh, as we become aware of cultural appropriation, as we become aware of people in the majority telling stories about minorities Um, And frankly, I'm not quite sure why this book needed to be musicalized. Uh, The creative team for the musical had their work cut out for them. uh, And fortunately, they got two-time Pulitzer winner Lynn Nottage to write the book of the musical. And her book makes all of the women much more three-dimensional than Kidd did in the original novel. That's the good news. Uh, God bless Lynn Nottage. The bad news is that the score by Duncan Sheik and Susan Birkenhead just doesn't really do Nottage's script justice. Uh, Sheik's music evokes some 1960s pop and R&B and gospel. It just doesn't really create a sense of time or place. Uh, Quite a few of the songs would have fit right into Spring Awakening without a problem. And these are supposed to be fairly different shows. Um, I was thinking maybe a score by Michael R. Jackson or Masi Asare would have show- served the show much better. Uh, and maybe they wouldn't have given the 11 o'clock number to a minor character. Uh, that moment just really left me scratching my head. Uh, there are a lot of things that really do work in the stage adaptation, uh, particularly the cast, which is top notch. They give excellent performances and they really rise above the stock characters that Kidd created for the novel. LaChance can do no wrong. She is wonderful in everything. She steals every moment. She's on stage as August, the leader of the family, the manager of the farm. Isa Davis is a smart and strong, uh, powerful woman as the very defiant June probably the most clear-headed character of the group. Anastasia McCleskey is just heartbreaking as the emotionally fragile May. She's still in mourning the death of her sister April, and she is least able to handle the injustice of the South in the 60s. Sakon Sengblo, she is wonderful in everything she's done uh, since, what, Hair? I think that was her big debut about 10 years ago. Uh, Just wonderful as Rosaline. Her main character in the show is to be able to vote and that becomes her musical motif that she's going to find a way to vote. And it was just thrilling to have her always come back to this thing that you know, half the country in the 2016 election didn't bother to show up at the polls. And this is her character's driving motivation the whole way through. It, she really reminds the audience uh, of how much how much people had to sacrifice for something that so many of us take for granted. She does a beautiful job with that. Um amazing belting very powerful strength uh elizabeth teeter does some very nice work as lily playing the traumatized teenager uh a little detail i loved in her performance is how often she's slunched forward and her shoulders are just down and in a way that makes it very clear her mother has not been there to tell her to stand up straight And it's a tiny little detail, but she does that very, very nicely. Uh, Brett Gray does some very nice work as uh, Zachary, who becomes a love interest for Lily. And his character is meant to be highly intelligent. And uh, along with May, they seem to be the most clear headed people in the show, most aware of what's going on and the realities of the situation they're in. Got to give a shout-out to Jane Cox's lighting, which beautifully, uh, the characters step in and out of the lights. Uh, Sam Gold's direction has many of the actors regularly on stage, sitting upstage when they're not in the moment, but then they just step down into Cox's lighting, and the lights will sometimes shift so that their uh, the body will be in the light, but their faces aren't, and then suddenly just a slight shift, and now the face is visible as well. Really... Subtle touches, but beautifully done. Mimi Lien's sets, um, just, I mean, the woman is a MacArthur genius for a, a very good reason. Uh, the space, it looks raw and sort of unfinished. So it could be a barn. It could be a shack, a shed, so many different places. And it just creates, it's kind of sad when the set does a better job of creating a sense of time and place than the score does, um, jason hart's music direction is also really nice the band is on stage and they seem to be part of the process which is always nice when you can see the band there to have them feel like they're connected um you know, there's a lot that works in the show there's been some talk about it transferring uh, i i hope it can be reworked it feels like it's a very strong second draft but i really wish the score uh better reflected the time and the place and i mean to go back to the uh the initial problem that, that maybe this wasn't a story that needed musicalizing uh for all that it gave a great opportunity for a lot of black performers to be center stage and to take on leading roles um uh, to see this and a strange loop within the same week um, I, I really hope more theater companies like Atlantic will support original work by Black writers and composers to, uh, to reach that same goal rather than taking the work of a white writer, a very problematic work by a white writer, and adapting that. And of course, then that comes into, you know, this is a known quality. The book was a bestseller. The movie from a couple of years ago, I think, did fairly well at the box office. So... Obviously, you need the known commodity to bring the audiences in, but I would just really have preferred to see uh, an original musical by Black writers talking about Black life rather than a book, an adaptation by, uh, try that again, an adaptation of a white novelist's uh, story about a Black community, if that makes sense.
0: All right. So, uh, that's the secret life of bees. As uh, Jenna mentioned, it is wrapping up on the 21st, a week from uh, now, next Sunday. And, uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Peter, before we go today, um, you have been, I guess, uh, driving up to Albany and out to the Cape Were listening to the company, uh, 2018 London cast recording. Is that correct?
2: Well, here's what happened Um, uh, uh, about a year or so ago, and I wish I had actually marked the date when I started. I decided to listen to every musical in the 40s chronologically. And when I got to "Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, December 8th, 1949, I said, you know, I'm just going to keep going. So I've been listening to my albums chronologically. And um, as I wrote this week, it was really eerie that I was at two by two um, last week when I got you a message, James, that Martin Charnon had died. Um, I was literally at the title song and he, of course, wrote the lyrics for that show. Um, but anyway, what. Uh, What I've done is if there's an alternate recording of a show, I have listened to that instead of the original cast album that I know so well, because so many times our revival cast albums don't get played nearly as much as... um, Uh, the original cast albums. And um, if Toy Story is any influence on all of us, we don't want to neglect and make um, those revival cast albums feel bad. So anyway, at this point, um, I was saving company uh, for that period of time. And I wanted to talk about it because... uh, I did remember it yesterday and I want to bring up some things about it. I don't know if you've heard this London cast album, but there are certain things about it that are really significant. Now, of course, the main thing is that Bobby is now a woman uh, played by Rosalie Craig. Mm -hmm. Well, I was judging a contest in San Antonio in April and um, there was a big party and a couple had seen company in London. And uh, the husband said to me, you know, I'd never seen it before. I'd never heard of it before. And now that I've seen it, I can't imagine it being done with a man. So that was kind of interesting to me. Um, So uh, for those of us who know company and which of us does not, one of the most amazing things on the album is um, the uh, getting married today. Now getting married today is a tough song to sing. Needless to say, because it's helter skelter is lickety split quick. And I have to say, Jonathan Bailey does such a phenomenal job in making every one of those words understood if you've ever had a problem with getting married today i'm telling you you won't with the way this man articulates it rosalie craig is quite wonderful as bobby but you know <laughs> what's really uh, fascinating to me is uh, some of the decisions that were made and what i'm talking about specifically is in sorry grateful because there's bobby the woman saying harry are you ever sorry you got married? And of course, we also hear from David and Larry, who tell us their mixed feelings about being married, and one of the most brilliant songs ever written for the theater. But um, in a strange way, um, in the Sisterhood is Powerful situation, would men really be telling this woman that um, they have mixed feelings about marriage? Suddenly, when um, they, uh, the uh, the line goes, and then she walks in, uh, meaning that he's he's then in love with uh, her when she comes in. Almost sounds like I better say this because maybe she'll tell my wife that um, that uh, I have mixed feelings. So I better make it sound positive. You know, there's a difference between men confiding in each other and a man and woman confiding in each other. So um, I think what should have happened uh, is that indeed Bobby should have asked the women if they were sorry they got married and have them sing sorry grateful that would have been very interesting to me of course there are some lyrics that have um, not passed the test of time so now we're clutching a copy of time rather than a copy of life which um, basically doesn't exist anymore and that brings us to Patti LuPone who was stupendous on this recording Uh, she must have made a a, a deal with the devil to have her voice from 1976 comes back. It is so wonderfully clear and beautiful. Um, Her Lady Sue Lunch is spectacular. So um, I was extraordinarily impressed with that. Um, But but going back to that thing I was saying about um, women, the other thing is that... um, there's something odd about a woman in the Barcelona sequence uh, begging the flight attendant to stay and then saying, Oh God, I wish he hadn't. I don't know. It seems that a man is more callous than a woman or am I being naive here? And that uh, I can understand Bobby, the man doing it saying, Oh God, I wish I hadn't asked her to stay, but I don't know. It did seem as convincing to me with a woman doing it. And again, I may be very naive about this. Um, someone is waiting very, 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 very nicely done. Um, a beautiful song, of course. But Rosalie Craig does a wonderful job with it. And, of course, instead of having women's names uh, and descriptions of the character, we have men's names. And uh, I certainly love the lyric, funny and charming as Peter. Anyway, so a good recording. And if you don't have it, I think you'll find it uh, of more than moderate interest. Uh, The famous line that has always talked about, um, she's tall enough to be a mother, is now uh, he's young enough to be your son, which I think is uh, quite good, too. So so the Company Cast album, track it down.
0: Uh, that's great to hear. Matt Tamanini on Today on Broadway talked about the upcoming uh, auditions for Company to transfer to Broadway. And uh, the auditions are coming up on Monday, July 22nd, and they have broken down what they are looking for Uh they it says in the casting you notes know, something along the lines of that they're looking for all the roles except for Joanne. So uh, we'll have to see if that means that Patty is coming, or is everybody coming, or... I'd and, be
1: heartbroken if Rosalie Craig didn't come along. I loved her performance on that recording. So,
0: all right. We'll have to uh, see what happens as, as these things progress. But also, uh, I think regardless of who's coming or not coming, I think they're required to at least hold auditions. So um, maybe that's the case that everybody is coming, but they're still holding auditions for understudies and possible future replacements and to fulfill the union commitment and things along those lines. All right, so before we wrap up for today, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. You can get us in many ways, terrestrial or non terrestrial. iHeartRadio places, TuneIn places, Stitcher places, Google Play plays us. Anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you are going to be able to find Broadway Radio in our offerings. In all of our shows. Contact information for Peter, for Je- uh, Jenna, for me can be found at broaderradio.com as well as links to some of, these we- some of the things we've talked about today. I forgot to mention at the top of the show, Michael is in Washington, D.C., seeing a handful of shows, and he'll be back with us next week. So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia?
2: Well, a musical opened on Broadway and got plenty of good reviews that could have run in ads. But the management and authors decided what would be more fun would be to have theatergoers write limericks that praised or described the show, and those would be placed in the ads rather than the critics' raves. The grand winner would get a free trip to New York, dinners, the original cast album, as well as tickets to the musical, as well as a play that the same management was sponsoring. As it turned out, before the contest ended, the musical unexpectedly won the Tony for Best Musical. And the management decided to run that achievement in the ads. So no limerick was ever published. What's the musical? Well, it was Two Gentlemen of Verona. And uh, the management was the uh, New York Shakespeare Festival. And they were also offering tickets to Sticks and Bones, which was running at that same time. Uh, I Googled like crazy before I asked this question to see if there was any mention of this anywhere and I couldn't find anything. And as a result, that's why even Tony Janicky couldn't get it this week. Uh, <laughs> he <laughs> tried though. He did. tried. Oh, you he... know that he sent that to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, he sent that right? to me too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, he certainly did try. I mean, he has a subscription to the times and, uh, he was, uh, searching it. Uh, but I guess, um, they don't. Uh, have references to ads in these um, archives, so maybe that's why he missed it, because it wasn't an ad. By the way, at the time I entered the contest, and I got third prize, which was <laughs> simply uh, tickets to the show's And um, the cast album, which, believe me, by that point I had had. But but I didn't get the free trip to New York, the dinners, or the hotel, or anything like that. But um, anyway, what had happened, of course, is that uh, it beat out Follies, which was expected to win. So they certainly wanted to trumpet that, and um, they certainly did. So, this week's question. What do these songs have in common? Here's Love from Here's Love. When It Dries from Two by Two, Song of the Sand, La Caja Full Popular, Wicked, A Musical, Something Rotten, and Do Something from Honeymoon in Vegas. So that's the question.
0: Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Janet Tessa Fox and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Videos This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Pardon me, is everybody there? Because if everybody's there, I want to thank you all for coming to the wedding. I'd appreciate you going even more. I mean, you must have lots of better things to do, and not a word of it to Paul. Remember, Paul, you know the man I'm gonna marry, but I'm not because I wouldn't ruin anyone as wonderful as he is. But I thank you all for the gifts and the flowers. Thank you all. Now it's back to the showers. Don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. <laughs> Blood.